0: you <laughs> Man police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two, Two Average Girls. Girls. So today we wanted to talk about one of our um, one of our favorite topics on this podcast, as well as just in real life, is true crime.
1: Yeah. People don't know that about us. <laughs> well, some of our friends do know about it, but some don't. And Do you ever have people, when you tell them that you're a true crime lover, look at you kind of weird?
0: Well, the first they don't understand what true crime, like, what do you mean? You know, and then you have to start, you have to start at the top with the platinum levels like, well, you know, Ted Bundy and that kind of someone that that they'll recognize the name. And then and then you get that judgmental kind of half step back of like, oh. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, when I tell people that I'm into true crime, they give me a look almost like they don't trust me maybe.
0: There's a slight judgment. <laughs> there,
1: there's definitely a judgment. And yeah. I feel a little bit self-conscious. Yeah. And I, wh- where do you think it, I mean, where, and I think we need to explore this in just a podcast in general, like when we are recording this at a different time, but why do you think we're kind of obsessed with this? Where
0: did it start? Like.
1: There's not just us. I mean...
0: Oh, my gosh, no. It's a
1: whole situation. And I mean, we got into podcasting because of true crime podcasts. Right. That was kind of our initial, oh, we love this. Yeah. And we're listening to every... I mean, I can watch five different shows on the same true crime experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With different people narrating it, right? Different podcast people talking about it, yeah. And I can't get enough.
0: I could listen to the same story. I have told by different people.
1: I've listened to the same story told by the same person. <laughs>
0: Keith Morrison narrates my dreams. <laughs> he
1: is like he's kind of like I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I, I used I to not know. be able to watch like Dateline. So when I tell people that I'm a, a true crime lover, yeah. they look at me weird. And then they ask, like, what do you talk about? And like, what are you talking about? I say, well, I listen to podcasts and I, I watch Dateline and, and they're like, oh, or 2020. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I watch that too. And yeah. I'm like, see, we're not that different.
0: Yeah, but when you were 10, did you read Helter Skelter? But
1: see, I, I wasn't like that when I
0: was <laughs> Oh, you weren't? No. Helter Skelter was my first intro, no. the Bugliosi book. He was the, the attorney no. in the courthouse and uh, in the courtroom. He That was the first book I read. You have to remember, I have brothers who are five and eight years older than me. And my oldest brother had the book because I think it was part of an English assignment in high school, which is questionable at best. Yes. But the book was around the house. So... I picked it up because it's got a fascinating cover, at least you think when you're 10. And, and man, I I opened that thing and read it. I could not put it down. I couldn't believe there were hippies in the world that did this horrible thing. I had never heard of the situation before of the crime. This was my first introduction to it. And I was hooked from that moment on. But you know, did you read Nancy Drew growing up? No. Oh, see, I was I'm a...
1: not a mystery lover, which is weird.
0: Because that's. Kind of what true crime is. It's got a I mystery know. component. I
1: like, the, I like that part of it. Yeah. Um. When it comes to reading, though, Nancy Drew never appealed to me whatsoever.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Sherlock Holmes, no. Interesting. Not Hardy Boys, none no, of that. No, not at all.
1: I must like the gory weirdness about it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't understand it. I think part of it is, like, I didn't used to like watching Dateline and all of those shows because it is a little bit melodramatic for me. Yeah. I mean, Keith Morrison, I mean. Nobody does it better than he does, no, in either. my opinion. Mm-mm. I mean, I just have to say, I've written down some of the things he's t- said. Like, he'll he'll just introduce a, a situation in the best way. I oh, mean, it's... his narrative is so awesome. Um, but it used to kind of drive me crazy because I like to get to the end. Yeah, right. And I also have a problem watching. But I've learned to, to, to deal with this part of this because sometimes they don't solve the crime.
0: Oh, those are the worst.
1: But you you invest an hour to two hours of your time expecting to see some guy in shackles.
0: Dateline doesn't do that as much. No,
1: but there are shows that do. There are. And I have a problem with that.
0: It's very upsetting.
1: I mean, especially if I've invested in a podcast. Oh, yeah, no. Come on. Mm -mm. You better tell me who the hell killed that person (laughs) or that guy better be on death row by now. Right. Or I don't want to. I don't know. I think there's something to be said about finishing it and having an ending and Maybe it's the happy ending part, even though it's there's nothing happy about anything. That it's happens. a relief. The it's, ending it's, is a relief. It's somewhat of a relief. Yeah. I have kind of, and maybe I know. Well, you read *Helter Skelter* at yeah. ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're kind of like the OG. Like
0: I didn't know. I didn't know then that I had a problem.
1: I I mean, <laughs> like seriously, like I can. I don't have a problem watching gory stuff on TV. Like I don't. I don't. I don't like watching. You know war movies and stuff I don't it doesn't bother me Well you it, don't I,
0: like the horror movie oh, don't do genre horror. at
1: all I do not do ghosts You're Or right. the devil
0: <laughs> Well we've got the devil in real life I With some of these which, true crimes Which
1: is is which is so weird But I think the older I get um, I don't know I, I don't it doesn't scare me anymore mm-hmm. I'm not as vulnerable maybe
0: Right I, well, Maybe I,
1: I feel more confident in who I am My kids aren't little Like my husband's not working late nights anymore or all nights. He used to work a lot of nights and Mm -hmm. I'd be home by myself with three kids. I'd be, you know, pressed to watch something like that on TV. And Mm -mm. now you can fast forward through things. And there's so much content now, I think, too, that and it's become a thing. I mean, you and I were supposed to go to crime con this year.
0: (laughs) Twenty twenty. You're the worst we did have one little nugget of light at the end of the tunnel in 2021 which was the uh documentary on netflix called night stalker
1: which which happens to be that you just did a segue saying the little light of a nugget yep and we're talking about the devil reincarnated listen
0: (laughs) we've all got our thing don't judge (laughs) Yeah. For folks who haven't seen this, this bit of, um oh, I don't, it's, it's a, it's a documentary basically. It's called Night Stalker. And as I said, it premiered on Netflix. I have to give a shout out to the directors, James, James Carroll and uh, Tiller Russell. They're also the, the producers. So these two guys who I, I apologize, I know nothing about either of them, except that their names showed up on every, you know, if it was a producer credit, if it was a writer, if it was a researcher, they clearly drove this vehicle the entire way this is obviously their baby with a lot of help from other people because we know it takes an entire cast and crew of people to put something like this together but it was um not what I expected I had read all of the reviews before I saw it which is a mistake don't do that to yourself because I
1: didn't read anything you're the one that told me to watch it
0: me and your oldest son were like you have to watch this (laughs)
1: Let, let, let's just go back a little bit on that because when you started talking about have you watched it yet? Yeah. And our conversation, you scared the crap out of me. You're welcome. You were like, I don't know if you should watch it. Well, Which because you then, don't like
0: horror and gore.
1: I know. That's what... Oh. But you were like, but you know when someone tells you not to do something, th- uh. then I was like, I've got to watch it. What this the heck? Is- I've got to watch it. But as soon as I turned it on, I could see everything you talked about it being Mm -hmm. it was
0: yeah it really was yeah there's a lot of gore so trigger warning just in general if you can't if 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 gore if there's
1: small children in the room turn it off
0: oh please I mean, I'm not sure I was old enough to watch it. And yet I powered through it twice. And the reason I watched it twice was because I knew the first time I didn't get everything. I didn't catch some details because I was watching it with my husband. And we something would come up and we'd both go, oh,
1: well, you know, whatever. Can you watch these things with your husband?
0: 100%. Sometimes he makes recommendations.
1: My husband will not watch this.
0: <laughs> it, it's,
1: he will not. As a matter of fact, he's one of the judges.
0: Oh. He, he
1: looks at me like... You get side eye. I, I think he might be afraid that if he falls asleep (laughs) (laughs) that he might not wake up at some point because he literally thinks I am like some kind of crazy
0: it's a real fear
1: I mean I don't know
0: well look at what if he becomes obsessed is too big of a word if he becomes sincerely interested in something that's a little off kilter to you like golf well, I mean, it's not Tiger Woods. You're not going to come at him with a golf club or something like that. I know but what <laughs> I'm just
1: saying. That's like what he watches. So for him, okay. this is So he likes positivity.
0: He does. He and, does.
1: And a lot of people do. I have probably compartmentalized this. And, and originally when we started this conversation, I was going to ask this question.
0: Yeah.
1: Have, what is the fascination as of late? Of true crime is this a new phenomenon because a lot like of so. people think this is a new phenomenon
0: Mm-mm. i think it's been around forever i think the difference now is content being produced it, it's coming at us left right and center and we can and get it. it oh my gosh the quality of well, this and,
1: and i mean when you guys watch this mini series or this yes. documentary it's like a four-part, four-part. mini series and or if you listen to a true crime podcast of any kind, and we've given recommendations and on our website, you can find some other recommendations of of things that we love to, to, you know, keep in the vaults for time. (laughs) But when you, when you see that it takes a lot of, a lot of detective work, it takes a lot of time. That's why you and I aren't doing a true crime podcast. We don't have, we don't have the time or the ability, I don't have the patience for that
0: no to get it right is a real talent
1: i think that if, of all the true crime shows or especially in miniseries or mm-hmm. something that we, i've watched this one that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today is the best well most well done one i've ever seen
0: it was uh, i agree um and as i said i i read the I read the reviews beforehand and people were, the thing that caught my eye, I didn't even know that there was a Night Stalker documentary on Netflix, but I got a um, a flash on my phone. It was a headline, I think from the New York Post that said, a viewers call for Netflix to take down Night Stalker doc. I'm like, hold the phone. What are we talking about here? And so I read the article and they were complaining about how gory it was and all of the, you know, all of the things that came along with the the documentary and it it was offensive to some people. And so of course I thought, Well, now I gotta watch it. But I didn't even know it existed. I read Helter Skelter as a
1: ten <laughs> year old, dude. This is not anything for me. I'm I, I got this.
0: Bring it. You Bring know. it. Yeah. Well,
1: I think I think there is a fine line. because sometimes I watch these shows and I've i I personalize some of it when you yeah. get involved with some of these, especially when they're high profile ones. Um, when they involve people that you can kind of relate to or you have something in common with like a mother mm-hmm. or you know a sister or somebody that you or a woman who was, you know beaten up and you just you just start getting into their of who they are and where they came from right. and you start watching it and it's a fine line to me between respecting the dead yeah. and honoring them because yeah. sometimes you know we're sensationalizing a murderer mm-hmm. I mean Richard yeah, that- Ramirez is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, there is, if the, you want proof of evil yeah. in this world, right. if you're not sure if there's a good and a bad or God and, the, and Satan, mm-hmm. we know mm. this is, There, there's no question Mm-mm. about how this came about. I mean, this is just, you know, I think because he's dead, spoiler alert, yeah, right. sorry, everybody, if you didn't know. <laughs> Um, it, but he's dead. So I feel like it's a little bit easier.
0: Yeah. And I think that was one of the, the complaints that I read in, in the negative reviews, which please enough with the negative reviews. I shouldn't have even read them, but just telling you sort of my path to it. Um, people were saying that it was sort of glorifying Richard Ramirez. And I'm like, oh, this I got to see. It was the opposite. It wasn't glorifying Richard Ramirez. At all. I didn't think everybody's entitled to their opinion. I didn't think it was glorifying Richard Ramirez at all. So anyway, back to back to the actual Night Stalker documentary. Um, like I said, James Carroll, Tiller, Russell, they did their work and they, they took a different point of view with this one. The point of view, dogs, killer dogs outside. It's okay. Um, the point of view was from that of law enforcement, which was something totally new for me. Um, watching the law enforcement sit down, you know, off camera a little bit, just sort of holding court about what they went through and sort of their history. It was an interesting way to sort of tackle it is taking it from the, the point of view of the law enforcement. Now, the I don't this goes without saying. This whole thing is a spoiler alert. If you haven't, if you haven't watched Night Stalker yet, we are recommending that you go watch it. If you love true crime, um, but also you should probably know the the entire Richard Ramirez story anyway. So we're not going to be telling you anything that you that you don't know. Nothing new has been revealed. It, it's just the way this documentary was done was was fascinating. And as a you know died in the wool old timey journalist myself, they do interviews. With LA journalists Laurel Erickson, um, you geeked out on this part. I geeked. Tony Valdez, Zoe Tour. They did all these interviews with these people who were there doing the interviews with the cops and were on the scene at the time. It at was the happening. time, yeah. and it's so great to see them again and sort of live through them vicariously. Laurel Erickson has some real moments where there's some angst. I mean, it affected her. And if you, you're you looking at it now from that was so many years ago. So we have the comfort of time. But at the time, she was in it. That was her story. She was every day at the courtroom when, right. when Ramirez was in court. She saw it all. And... Um, it really humanized the whole thing to have it told from the point of view of law enforcement and then have these moments of journalists coming in and uh, talking about what they, what they did and what they saw. So the, the um, documentary starts, it takes his whole spree um, started in like March of, of 85, and the documentary takes us back there. What did you think of the video that they were using from the 80s? Did you, did you catch that? Which one? All of the video. Yes.
1: yes. I mean, yeah. first of all, let me go back to where you're talking about the perspective from the law enforcement. Uh-huh. I loved how they showed the cops when they were young, mm-hmm. a little bit about their background, mm-hmm. a little bit about who they were in the, in in light of LAPD. Right. I mean, it was so fascinating to me Yeah. because both of these detectives that really... Broke the case and and solved the, the case and really was instrumental in it. I mean, they talked about it and how it took a toll on their lives, their marriages, their I mean, kids. I mean, everything. It, it, yeah, you they couldn't live at home. Yeah. But their families had to move. Mm-hmm. That's how despicable and how crazy this man had become. Yeah. And it it terrorized an entire state.
0: Right. Because he was everywhere. He, he was everywhere. Yeah, so
1: I, I loved the fact that they had all of these, you know, 80s, bringing it back to, yeah. the, to the where it was. So it was literally, I think the very first thing that got me, and I realized, now I know what Ann's talking about. When she said, <laughs> you might not want to watch it. <laughs> was they, they, it brings it up, and every so often, they use his real voice.
0: Yes, but wasn't that fascinating that it was maybe just a couple times. It's a four part series and it might have been twice in each of the episodes. It wasn't a lot. This wasn't the Richard Ramirez story. But there were moments where they're like, okay, this is what he said and they use his His voice. voice. I
1: wished they would have been able to or talk more about his life. His background. His background a little bit. Just because that's the part, I mean, that's probably why I like true crime is I like the background of the people. I mm-hmm. like understanding why. I like understanding where they came from, mm-hmm. environment, nurture versus nature. Mm-hmm. I like the whole idea of figuring out why somebody is behaving this way.
0: How do you produce a monster? How does that... How do you... How do you become, become a, a monster?
1: How do you become a night stalker like this?
0: Right. And they, they they really, that was maybe the one thing about the series that I was a little disappointed in. But if you think about it from the point of view that they're looking at, you know, they're doing it from law enforcement, whatever. Those guys had no nothing to do with and zero interest in what got him to this place. They're picking it up in March of 85 with what they know and just kind of going from there. The Richard Ramirez's background and and his story of childhood and growing up is horrific, and they did sort of gloss over it. There was just like a quick mention about, well, he was in the room when his cousin shot his wife. Whatever, the cousin was dastardly. The cousin was an absolute criminal in his own right, and spent time in prison as as he should have, but was eventually released. And and I mean there there was abuse by his dad, there was abuse by other people. He had full on head injuries, several of them by the time he was like five. So and we know now, I'm sure they didn't then they were, you know, immigrant family living in El Paso, Texas with a whole bunch of kids, just trying to make it work. I don't think they knew. I know for a fact they didn't know that a massive head injury on a two year old could result in some really bad stuff.
1: Not to mention just a lifestyle of people around him that were making terrible choices on
0: his behalf on his behalf yeah.
1: and in front of him yes and with other people yes i mean most of these things don't just happen by
0: chance oh none of like, it ever happens in a vacuum i mean
1: we don't just all of a sudden this guy and you know he he's born and he's got horns right <laughs> like he's he, he doesn't just show up and he's like hey i'm pretty evil although there are reasons for though there are people who have of those course. issues but I mean, usually there's a psychological component. There's usually an environmental component. There could even be some sort of genetic component that we, most of the time that we just don't know about.
0: We're not born with a pentagram on the palm of our hand. We create that. This is an insane person. And, and like going back to how do you make, how do you produce someone who's this evil? I think we have to hang a title on it. And in the eighties, devil worship was, you know, that was a thing. Um, and of course, Richard Ramirez, that was his whole byline. That's what he said, you know, hail Satan, all of that crap. So he was promoting it as well. It's not like it was just something that the media made up. He was actually, you know, feeding into it and claimed to be a devil worshiper. And all he that. loved that part. He, so watching him in court, the video of him in court is is all at the same time disgusting and you can't take your eyes off him.
1: I sat myself in there and I thought if I was sitting there, I would be screaming at that guy.
0: How could you not?
1: I would want to just, you know, cuss him out. I would want to scream and yell at him. Like, turn your chair around you.
0: Take off your sunglasses, you douche.
1: Yeah. he had the sunglasses on in
0: court. He's literally like, (laughs) I'm so
1: cool. I have to wear shades. That's
0: exactly right. And And, the the ladies? Oh, God. Don't even get me started on the women who wanted to get with. That has to
1: be a whole podcast for us. We talked about this already. We have to... I have to explore this. Mm. I listen. I listen. I've been married and with the same gentleman for thirty six years. It's the love of my life. I I grew up in a home that we didn't have a lot of love. My parents divorced. It was kind of tumultuous. Yeah, that's the word, right?
0: Tumultuous. Yeah, yeah. you got this. I yeah, got mm-hmm. big words for me. Yeah, I'm not like a journalist, <laughs> so you know. Um,
1: but so I I really valued finding somebody that I was going to spend the rest of my life with right and into the attorneys is really where it's going. Right. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't going to settle for anything, but what I could find Now right. I got lucky too. I mean, it could have gone terribly bad because some people think they're getting that, but I cannot imagine Mm-mm. in my wildest dreams, seeing Richard Ramirez in the newspaper, finding out he's going to go and, and knowing what he did, I mean, Mm. another spoiler alert, this guy, one of the reasons he's so crazy and it's so fascinating and so disturbing all at the same time is that he, there was really no rhyme or reason to what he did and how he did it.
0: All I know about most serial killers for certain is take Ted Bundy, for instance, who uh, of course is like the platinum level serial killer type. He had a very specific type of woman. Certain age range, hair color, hairstyle. Right. Right. He had access to tons of women. and Rule is proof of that. He sat next to her in, at the, the suicide call-in hotline and walked her to her car. Was a perfect gentleman. She, she had no idea that she was sitting next to a serial killer. He had a very specific type of woman that he was looking to assault. Uh, that makes sense to me. And me too. Ted Bundy being above average intelligence, whatever. I don't know if that actually plays into the whole part of him being a serial killer. I don't know what. He's
1: also a white male.
0: He's a white man and he had a very specific type. Then we turn to Richard Ramirez and to your point, which is, I'll take anything. I will do anything to anyone. I don't care what their nationality or gender is. Let's go. That to me says... I'm going to go back to my frontal lobe head injury there's something really wrong there and like I said I'm not a psychologist so this is making no real sense you know in a real way Stating the obvious I just think he had something additionally wrong with him that most serial killers do not
1: I mean let's let's go back to the women who were enthralled with him we didn't really get to that because when we're talking about (laughs) sick and deprived and you're not sure Depraved, I guess mm-hmm. is the word. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about all of that, I'm just asking in, in my humble way of trying to understand any of this crap that's going on in this whole scenario and, and in general in the world. Yeah. Scott Peterson. Yeah, oh, good grief. Married. With a baby coming. She was nine months old, pregnant. But he had also has people. I think he's married in prison. I think he's, you know, had... Relationships with people from the outside, women who are clamoring to have relationships with people in prison. And not just, you know, hey, this guy is, you know, selling pot on the corner and now he's three strikes, he's in jail.
0: No, this is a murderer.
1: Richard Ramirez did all of these heinous things and he had groupies mm-hmm. out at the courthouse in the courtroom. He's wearing his glasses and making googly eyes at him. He was engaged.
0: He was married in prison. He was
1: married in prison. That's right.
0: And then divorced and had a girlfriend, had a, a fiancé when, when he died.
1: That's right. I mean, I'm sorry, but Richard Maris, I can write him off. <laughs> He's not on the list. He's not. He's not. I mean, I can write him off. These women, they're still out there. Yeah. They're voting. <laughs> they are actually, they could be like in the grocery store buying frozen food with you. Like, yeah. What the hell?
0: And there is, this is why you have got to go watch the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix. If you have not yet, there is a woman in this documentary. I'm not going to spoil it, but she addresses this exact issue and you will know her by her eyewear. She's got the best glasses you've ever seen and makes the most profound statement in the entire documentary that you just go, thank you for saying what we're all thinking.
1: Yeah, and she is somebody that um, had a, run in with him and had a close encounter. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating that they had her there. Like how did that come about? I don't know, A C D C the whole thing in the thrift store and I mean
0: and then saw him on the freeway
1: then saw him on the freeway I mean
0: and the librarian yes that guy there's a male librarian in this documentary who um gives a description of him that is so bone chilling I guess Richard Ramirez went into the library to find you know a certain type of book goes up to this man and says hey I'm looking for this the the description this man gave of Richard Ramirez makes you want to vomit a little bit because it's it's not coming from the point of view of a of a well trained ver- journalist or of uh, you know a police officer or anyone in law enforcement. It's just just a dude doing his job, and has a has a process paths with this guy, who then he just is on his own to sort of describe. And it wasn't long after um, his interaction with Richard Ramirez that Ramirez was caught and it was such big news um, in Southern California on the news and whatever that he saw it and immediately went to the police and said, hey, I, <laughs> I, I know this dude. That's how they were able to go back and circle back and talk to him for this uh, documentary. His description though is like none other that I've ever, it took you right there. It made you go, okay, I get it. The
1: part that everybody talked about and it just it humanized the unthinkable. Almost was the smell of Richard Ramirez.
0: Can you his teeth imagine. and his smell? The first dental work he ever had was when he was finally committed to federal prison. What that well, that's he went when to a
1: dentist remember that's how they found that's how his they teeth, found him. His teeth mm-hmm. his tooth teeth records. But right, he didn't have the money obviously to get his. They were teeth.
0: yanking bad teeth. Is all they were right. doing. Right. They weren't really caring for his teeth. The only real. Can you imagine you're that age and the first time you see a dentist for real who's not just yanking an abscess tooth out is in jail? I mean, this guy, I'm not in any way showing sympathy. I'm just saying this person was neglected from the word go. He didn't have a chance. That doesn't mean that he gets to go around terribly murdering and raping people. No lots yeah. of people have a really bad upbringing
1: yeah and they don't do that. they
0: don't do that no but he was i mean just that one little detail about not about having rotten teeth you have been neglected you haven't this it hasn't gone right for you no. i no. mean it's really uh it's just terrible um so talking about i got to go back to um to the journalists that are on this um and if you have lived in southern california for any time at all you will appreciate the journalist's point of view but i have to touch on on zoe tur i knew zoe tur as bob tur back in the day i never met him but he was helicopter pilot reporter and um bob tur was actually the first person um to record like the high speed police chase from the sky really legit bob, bob zoe tur is a as a transgender woman
1: i didn't understand that part i didn't i i didn't know who that was
0: oh okay they didn't do a good job of saying journalist or really explaining I mean, who they, she was yeah i didn't know yeah she's a transgender woman i think oh it's not been long uh, maybe 2013 or 2014 is when she really came forward and said yeah, this is who i am this is what we're doing kind of thing but when i knew zoe tour uh she was Bob Turr and, um, but he, he's legit. He was the one, that famous video that you see of Reginald Denny, 1992. Oh. That's him. He, he videoed that. From the sky. That's really cool. That's him. And he was also the first to broadcast the low speed chase. Really? He, I mean, she, I'm sorry, I keep switching back and forth but I, and I apologize immensely because it sh- she's, you're thinking
1: about it when you, I'm thinking about her who Bob
0: Turr is. Yeah. He- she well, was she not, was before she was Zoe she, tur before she
1: transition doesn't
0: makes no difference. The most legit, yeah. I mean, really just a trailblazer in that helicopter, not afraid to yeah. do anything. So we get to hear from Zoe as well. And she just adds an interesting little dimension to the whole thing. She comes in with these fantastic little, not snarky, but just like very, very seriously sarcastic remarks yes. that are that I just appreciated so much. I just loved them. The woman with the glasses is my favorite part she's that and, and the six year old who's now grown up. I know the six year old who goes to the lineup. I, I cried. I did
1: too. I cried and I, I literally said a little grateful prayer for her. Like I was just so glad that she, and I'm sure she's got problems up the yin yang. I mean, I I don't know. I have problems and I haven't had anything even traumatic happen to me, you know? So I can only imagine what she's had to go through and how much work she's had to do on herself just to get to where she is. Yep. But for her to be brave enough to do
0: that, mm-hmm. God She's, bless her. Yeah, God bless. She was, and and that was the other thing is when they are talking to, um, they're talking to uh, Frank Salerno and Gil Cario. They are, they're cops. They're not politically correct, and they're they're OG cops. They're cops from back in the day. I dig it. Dig. So I they dig they it. were as forthright as you could possibly be. They were saying what they mean and they were meaning what they say and they were not afraid to say things that were not politically correct I cannot fault them
1: I do have to say I was sitting there going defunding the police doesn't seem like a great idea <laughs> you know a, what I mean I'm sitting there yeah. watching these guys and if they could fast forward you know to 30 years
0: yeah
1: and or 40 years
0: yeah when did it happen? it's 85 85 95 <laughs> We're using 05. all our fingers. What, so 30 some odd years. Yeah. 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 Like 37, 38 years. It'd be, it's upsetting to see where it came from. Um, I mean, obviously, things were very, very wrong with LAPD. And still are. I still mean, are. We're not,
1: we're not defending I mean, We're trying, behavior. no, no,
0: no. We're trying to correct as we go. And I, you know, we hope people are, are doing their best, but... When Salerno, um, Frank Salerno says after interviewing one of the 16 year old victims, he literally says, you really want to get your hands on this guy after he heard what she had been through with Richard Ramirez. And he was not saying it like, we need to get him and put him in jail, like, I'd like to kill him. And you can imagine as a dad, as a father, as, you know, a cop that that really was the one who solved the hillside stranglers. uh,
1: Let's let's talk a little bit about that. This guy's the OG. I mean, and that was one of the things that I loved about this whole thing was the relationship between these two cops. Yeah. You know, um, Gil is this Mm -hmm. green
0: young Mexican just, dude from the streets yeah. in his own words. And he's so, a he
1: really cute boy. I thought yeah, when he was he younger, was yeah. you know, and you knew that his family values and he was, he had gone in the army. And I thought it was, I cried when at the end when he was talking about how he wished his he dad, I could make me start crying about it right now, yeah. how he wishes dad was alive still to have seen this murder, you know, come to fruition for him and to get the accolades. He was getting it from everywhere but yeah. he didn't care. He wanted it from his dad.
0: Yeah. Dad's the only one that matters when you're a guy like that. It's and I get it. I it made me tear up too because it's like and his wife, that sweet sweet wife who you can tell they still love each other. There's still a thing there it after took all these toll years.
1: On that poor woman, she had three small kids yeah. living in the home not far from where all of this was happening. Mm-mm. And here's the thing that really brought it to to a head, and you you and I talked about it briefly, which is we don't do this anymore, but they were interviewing these cops Mm -hmm. on television, telling them their names. And so Richard Ramirez knew who these guys were when he got picked up. I mean, he could have found them so easily and terrorized their families.
0: It wouldn't have been hard.
1: It really wouldn't have been hard. Nope. I mean, and there is an encounter in there with another cop who mm-hmm. and his family who have real close encounters with this, and all of the things that are happening. And you're just like, "Wow, that seems kind of obvious. Like we shouldn't probably broadcast. No, this.
0: we don't anymore. Yeah, thank goodness.
1: Like, it did. I mean, now it's even easier for people to find that out.
0: It would be easier, but the the I think the detectives are more protective of one another are definitely protected from the news.
1: Journalists, Hopefully they're smarter
0: and they wouldn't,
1: they wouldn't, would
0: they? You, I would have gotten my butt kicked if I had done something that revealed that officer Smith, who's from Anaheim, you know, whatever, and showed a picture of him, uh, you know, who's someone that's working on a case. You just don't do that. You absolutely don't do that. And now what they have, which they didn't have in 85 is a PIO, the public information officer. And, Every department has their own PIO. LAPD, Orange County sheriffs, they have an assigned PIO. Well, that PIO is the voice of the the department. department. You never see the detective who's working the case. You shouldn't. You should never see that detective. You don't want to see his face. He doesn't want his face shown for this exact reason. That's another thing. You mentioned that they, that, um, that Ramirez went to the house of a cop and his wife. And this is what makes me think, He's not—he's not a smart criminal. He's a wily criminal, because if you knew, if you, as Richard Ramirez knew that this was the house of a cop, he didn't know that. There's no way he would have known that, no. because there's what's at the cop's house—guns.
1: I mean, we're we're literally in the '80s, okay? Yeah. And there's no there's no internet. No. There's no, let's check on this person. It's the
0: dark I mean, ages. It's the
1: dark ages. We don't even understand. There's no such thing as a cell phone. No. Oh, I mean, well, we had them, but they were like, you know.
0: The size of a Volkswagen. Yeah.
1: It's like, <laughs> got my briefcase and yeah. here's my phone. Right. So, I mean, you know, it, it just it's just so fascinating to me. This whole deal with what he or what they didn't do. Now, I don't. I don't think we would have a Richard Ramirez. Do you think that he could have survived today's? No. I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I watch a lot of cold cases, I love watching cold case programming that shows that they take the new, the old DNA that they've been saving for 30 years yes. and, and run it through the database yes. and all of a sudden they get a hit. The guy's in prison yeah. and we now, you know, like I feel like this victory. Yeah. Like I feel like, you know, taking a football and running down <laughs> the end zone and doing my dance. I'm so excited because... It's pretty, it's pretty exhilarating and satisfying yeah. to finally get justice right, for these people. For the
0: people, yeah. But I don't, uh, to your point, do you think Richard Ramirez could do what he did now? No, I don't. First of all, there's too many cameras everywhere. I mean, vi- I mean, just
1: surveillance on your homes. I just
0: mean, my ring doorbell right. is going to have a little video of you if you come sneaking around. The only, think about this, the only clue they had was a shoe for, footprint. I know. A shoe a single shoe footprint. Hats off to the president and CEO of Avia. He I have his name here. I want to say it because he's a badass. Um, it is Gary Stubberfield Stub, Stubblefield. Gary Stubblefield, it's president was the president and CEO of Avia shoes at the time. They were based up in Oregon. The they took the shoe print up there. And he if you watch the documentary, please go watch the documentary. They have pictures and video of the printout that Gary Stubblefield gave to the police department and it is from the oldest computer printer you've ever seen it's like (laughs) it's like the oldest thing you've ever seen it's barely a computer printout and he just said here here's all the information here's everything I know about this make and model of shoe here's where it was shipped blah 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 and I'm like now
1: it probably would have been like oh We have to, you know, protect the privacy of those people who purchase purchased those shoes. We can't let them see
0: it. But a shoe print wouldn't matter because you'd have DNA somewhere. They didn't have it then. All they had was this stupid shoe print, you know. Did you think
1: it was interesting because they had the shoe print several Mm -hmm. times? No. And when Gil finds the shoe print and he calls the other detectives who say, we have a shoe print, and they said, it doesn't match yours because it's not the same size. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. 'Cause it was in concrete, it was in wet cement. Right. Yeah.
1: And so he says, Well, how did you get the size? <laughs> and he said, Well, I put my foot up against I mean, like like it was almost like I took a piece of gum and I, you know, like it was so hokey. And <laughs> like the real cops, Gil yeah. and Frank know, Frank, mm-hmm. they're like, Come on,
0: bro Amateurs. Yeah.
1: yeah. Why don't you do it right? Right. Like that's cool.
0: Yeah, no. They knew they knew how to use what little they had it at their disposal, and they did the best they could with it. I can't get into the whole dentist office debacle. I'm going to let the people who have not seen it yet go and view I it. Get it. I get it. I thought my husband was going to lose his mind. <laughs> We've talked about it several times. Uh, morning talk show here in Los Angeles called um, Heidi and Frank. It's on KLOS in the mornings. They were talking about this exact program a few weeks ago. Um, they talk about what interesting things they're watching. And Frank, the, the co-host of the show, was like, I can't get over that dentist, that, that the, the dental office. I can't get over what happened at the dental office. I can't. Who does that? What was wrong with the dentist? What is the, did no one leave a business card? What are we doing? They had him. They had him. So the whole, there were so many.
1: They went there and he was gone. It was the next day. Yeah.
0: They didn't, they weren't even there the same day. It was there's so many things that we have <laughs> rectified now with with DNA and with surveillance that back to your point, I don't think a Richard Ramirez would get away as long as he did right. uh, for and do as much damage as as he actually did now. I just don't think I don't think it's possible. do you
1: remember? I don't remember. um, you watched it twice. I watched a couple of the sh- <laughs> I, I watched a couple of them twice just because, like you said, it takes it's a lot to take in, yeah. and we knew we were going to talk about this. but um do you, how many actual people were his victims? Do you know?
0: I don't, I didn't write the number down. Um,
1: and the reason I ask is because I don't think we know. Well, I know he, I know he admitted to some, but I think as prolific as he was and as off his rocker and disgusting evil that he was, and he was all over the place. Yeah. I think, I don't think that we know that he had, I think there was victims that we might never know. Like There could be cold cases still out there. And maybe somebody, if you know the answer to this and you're listening because you're a detective or somebody, let us know. Because to me, that is super interesting because I personally think he could be responsible for others.
0: Yeah. Well, they got him on that one in San Francisco, uh, another one in, I think it was the Bay Area, right? right? Once he was incarcerated. Not that- That's
1: why I was thinking it was in a different state. Yeah. The Bay Area is like a different, a different state,
0: state from Orange County. Oh, totally. But he came down here to Orange County. I mean, he oh. was in Mission Viejo for crying out loud.
1: Yes. Um, and, you know, so that brings me to the conversation that we've had before because it's kind of fascinating. So this is happening in 1985. Yeah. I actually met my husband in 1986. Um, he's from Mission Viejo. Mm-mm. And, you know, I kept thinking to myself where was I when all of this was happening I don't remember the night stalk me being afraid of the night stalker right I do remember you know I was living at my mom my mom's home I was going to a junior college I remember hearing about it Mm -hmm. but I don't remember being afraid of it
0: I don't either at the time Mm -mm. I don't remember Mm -mm.
1: but my husband and his family were actually living in Mission Viejo no not even a quarter of a mile away from where bodies were found
0: at that house at that house so neighborhood adjacent
1: close enough you can walk no problem oh
0: my gosh
1: so when that happened um and it's a middle class just basic neighborhood two-story homes in a very planned community of mission viejo it's a very low crime area i mean it's so random that he chose those people like for what was he doing there
0: And why that particular house? We don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Maybe it was the window was open and he saw it. I mean, maybe there was no dog. Yep. I mean, that has probably a lot to do with it as well. Mm -hmm. But um, so my husband has talked about this over the years. So when we, I told him that I was going to be watching this and that we were going to be talking about it, he wanted nothing to do with it (laughs) because he literally said, I lived it. And so I asked him a little bit about it and I've told you a little bit about this, but I'll tell, I'll tell the audience about it. So when this happened, it was so close to them. I mean, you know, helicopters are flying all over the place. I mean, it is on every news station, and it is so close to home that right after it happened, now they're not sure. Now he's in. Now he's in Mission Viejo. He could still be there. Yeah. I mean, he could be up the street. The next. He could be next door. You know, it doesn't. No one knows. Right. And so my husband and his, they had a two store house. My husband was um, going to school and working, and his parents house was you walked up the stairs and there was a landing and you go to the right was his parents door like a double door to a master bedroom mm-hmm. and on the left was my husband's one there was two rooms and one of them was his room and so his father and they had french doors throughout their house which is like the worst possible thing for you know it's all paned with glass and all i have to do is click click and you know take a little bit of a thing and you're doing it so you know, they didn't have, you know, ring doorbells back then. No. Radio Shop wasn't selling a, an affordable alarm system. Oh no. Um, they're working class family, gun toting group, and so they improvised. And my father in law Jimmy rigged all of the doors in the house and windows with a special little like like I don't know exactly what it was, but some sort of wiry thing with like a like a firecracker at the end so that oh. if it opened you would hear it
0: so, so it would pop or it would snap or something. it would snap
1: so they could hear it
0: oh my gosh that's genius yeah
1: no i mean they're like macgyvers you know if anybody doesn't know what macgyver is they're, they're, i'm kind of dating myself but yeah right. they like figure out anything you know yeah. they can make a bomb out of a piece of gum and i'm like you know i don't know <laughs> you know bleach or something yeah right I don't know. so anyway they did that and they loaded up their guns and they put booby traps on the way up the stairs. Mm. And one night, like a few nights after this had happened, uh, maybe it was the next night. I don't know. It's been a long enough time that it, the memory is a little yeah, faded, yeah. you know. But he was saying that one night, one of those poppers freaking went off. Oh, no. He They had a um motion detector in their home oh, okay they got one so that and they specifically put it, after specifically, ramirez yes okay. and they put it down on the stairs so that if anyone walked in the house if they got through the other booby trap yeah and they got there they would hear this thing and it went off No, at yeah, night at night it the, went off
0: the staircase so someone in the house they, set they, it off
1: someone in the house set it off so they had practiced thank goodness, or this would be a terrible story. Right. I wouldn't be here to talk about it. Nope. Um, but they practiced, what are you going to do? And so they yelled, I, are you there? Are you there? Hot? Are you there? Mm-hmm. You know, hot? Are you there? What, I've got my gun I'm loaded. I'm coming out, you know, so don't shoot me. It's right, me. It's me. And they cleared the house and there was the, the alarm being probably, you know, $10 from Radio sure. Shock or wherever they bought it. It sure. was, you know, it Maybe was a malfunction or there was a piece of lint that went on the front of it or a moth or something. And they never figured out why. But he said it literally scared the crap out of
0: them. No kidding.
1: It. it li- they were literally not sleeping at night because of how scared they were over this.
0: Uh, they they, they rigged their home like some kind of Macaulay Culkin yes, home yes, alone situation. Yes, absolutely. Because that's all we had in the mid 80s. Yes. We didn't have a reliable system to they hook had, up.
1: They had shotguns. Yep. And they had... Firecrackers.
0: Firecrackers. To booby trap the doors. Yes. It wasn't long after that Mission Viejo hit, though, that he was caught. It
1: was. So. I, I wasn't sure. So I, I had ha- had my husband reenact some of it with me before I watched it. And then I talked to him a little bit about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Again, he's not a true crime fan. Nope. And he's not a fan of going and talking about negative stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's all about uplift.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why he's married to me. <laughs>
0: a nice balance it's a
1: nice balance i'm, <laughs> I'm really negative and I to talk about <laughs> disgusting things and he's really positive and really happy all the time <laughs> perfect fit we're, we're perfect fit. that's right
0: <laughs> that's crazy though i know that's insanity that it was that close now your family your husband's family didn't know the family no. that got hit did they no
1: nobody i don't believe they knew anybody and and i I was trying to actually find out where the house was yeah. that was hit, so I could see in conjunction to really get the sense. All I know, it was close enough that they didn't mess around.
0: You wouldn't. I don't care if it's within five miles; you'd still be like this is crazy. That's happened today.
1: I would be doing that.
0: Absolutely. I mean,
1: it... I'm already ready. I mean, no one, everyone knows. Don't come to my house. Oh my
0: gosh, this house <laughs> you always, is.
1: You want you want to warn me and, and let me know who you are because. Dee Dee, don't mess around.
0: (laughs) Joe Pesci is going to get a hot frying pan to the forehead if he walks in here, I'm telling you, unannounced. I did look up really quickly. um, He was convicted of 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of sexual assault, and 14 counts of burglary. burglary. Those were the convictions. Now remember, they didn't take those little kids Yes, and that is
1: something else that I was truly grateful for when I was watching that. And I love the fact that they did not, um, they asked the the young girl to, I think they had other witnesses too that had probably yeah. come forward to testify and they were going to have her testify, but he had already been convicted. They had they, enough. They, they had enough mm-hmm. on him that they knew that they could convict him. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't need to put those kids through testifying mm-hmm. to have this, I mean, he's getting consecutive life sentences. Right. There's no need to put those poor children through more torture
0: I liked watching them sort of tell the story of how they came to the conclusion I'm sure it was an abridged version you know as to how it actually went down but they had gone over to her house and were talking to her and this little six-year-old girl was more than willing like uh, well and she I think she said something like well if it keeps another little girl from getting hurt like I did you know I'll I'll do it and and Just sort of along those same lines of what we were saying about how straightforward, how not politically correct these men were, how they were old school cops who sort of just didn't care. They they did their job and they weren't thinking of the political correctness that may come down on them because it wasn't a thing at the time. To sort of listen to them go through the thought process, they had to come to that conclusion on their own after talking to her, it's, I think it would be vastly different today. I think you would just assume right off the bat, we've got these victims, we've got, say, six victims that are underage. No way are we putting them up on the stand. They kind of had to go through it and come to that conclusion by talking to her and standing in her kitchen with her mom who's holding her hand. They had to see the visual. This is at least what I'm imagining in my soul. They had to walk away. They had to walk away and cry in the other room.
1: uh, The one thing I was going to talk about a little bit that I thought was so fascinating because if you've watched any kind of television show, um, you know, just drama, like, you know, T V made for TV dramas that are, you know, CSI, Siri, CSI S- or SUV. anything. They you know, they always run through all everything very quickly. But they do show sometimes when different agencies kind of butt heads with each other. Yep. And it's always, you know, good for T V to talk that way. This really happened yeah, did. at this time. And yeah. I believe that it probably we need to get a we need to get a detective on here. Yeah. And we talk to somebody because I want to know, like, I think it's better now because it we is. have databases and we have the ability to share information in a way that is all condensed. Yeah. I mean, we have this database that they put in DNA and they can track that, but they weren't sharing information there. As a matter of fact, they were very territorial mm-hmm. about the information, mm-hmm. which was really pissing me off at the beginning.
0: Well, and that is that case that you're talking about right there. We're talking about the difference between um los angeles sheriffs and lapd the sheriff's detectives that's that's who detective carrillo and detective um salerno were both worked for the, sh- the sheriff's department lapd is a separate unit at that time the two did not communicate in fact it was almost the opposite they did their best to i don't want to say anything too inflammatory but they they were so not helpful that it we get
1: the impression that they weren't they
0: would like to stand in each other's way yeah. kind of thing and you know it, it has changed a lot um especially with the onslaught of the golden state killer because he was up and down the state of california so much um i don't know if that's if it was just timing or what but having those um units all work together from all these different states or uh, cities up and down the state they were able to sort of put together a better profile and have a better idea of where this guy was and what he was doing and and all of that but before that no no LAPD could come in and say this is our jurisdiction therefore we are impounding that car and we're going to do what we want with it and that's exactly what they did
1: which is really
0: it ruined evidence
1: they 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 wasted evidence it it just there and deteriorated
0: because they had fingerprints the only time they had a fingerprint because Richard Ramirez wore gloves he knew to wear gloves. So it, yes, that that was super frustrating watching the miscommunication, sort of a lack of respect between the two. But then on the other hand, Frank Salerno says that they, they went specifically to the LAPD, to their, um, I think he called it the SIS department. These guys that will, I don't know that they exist anymore, but it was a group within the LAPD that were assigned to sort of like break down the door right. and take whoever's inside. Right. They so Salerno did say those were the guys that we wanted. Those were the guys that we hired to make sure because we knew they could get the job done. And that was sort of <laughs> that was sort of his sideways way of saying these guys don't take any any crap from anybody, right. and they didn't care. They would have done whatever needed to be done. And at Is a that time, like
1: SWAT. Now you think.
0: I don't know. I think it was, yeah, it was a specialized unit within the LAPD. So they
1: probably can't have those anymore.
0: <laughs> they certainly can't advertise that these are the guys that'll break down your door and kill whoever's inside. That's not really a thing that they, <laughs> well, they talk about. We've,
1: we've seen some of that happen and it's a problem.
0: It's not good. No, no it's definitely not good. Um, what did you think about some of the reenactments on the in the documentary? There were some parts where they would do actual crime scene video or photo and then it would very subtly move into like an overhead 3d situation
1: right. i thought it was pretty realistic it was well done i thought it was i mean as a matter of fact i thought is this a real it, did they take some of the real pictures and do a 3d you know drone look over the yeah. the d i don't know what you call any of that right. i'm not a journalist <laughs> i just play one during the day in my pod room right um I, I wondered if they did that, but I liked it.
0: They were computer generated. They I liked did a it a lot. Beautiful job.
1: I thought I mean, again, like I said, this is I was very worried about watching this after you warned me. Because <laughs> trigger. <laughs> you 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 literally like I was like it took me three or four days to get into watching it because I was like, Oh, I've gotta get into the right frame of mind. Oh, I wanna be able to sleep tonight. I was able to, you know, power through it. I was it did not affect me in mm-hmm. a way that was disturbing mm-hmm. I guess I looked at it more analytically I don't know right. what it was but from the beginning of the thing it caught my attention because of how well it was done
0: yeah it was they did a, they did an awesome job crime scene photos are a different animal than just your regular uh, you know not a reenactment but here's a picture of or here's a drawing of but to see actual crime scene photos of people sprawled out being killed in the most murdery horrible way I mean just the worst death ever. And to actually see that, it's very, that's what a lot of the complaints were about.
1: Let me tell you this. If someone murders me mm. and I'm sprawled out, yep. I mean, if I'm naked, maybe they can put the little things across the places. <laughs> the black I want, bars. The,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: I want, I, I, you, you can show everybody because I'm, I want my killer to be found. Right. And whatever it's going to take mm-hmm. to make that happen, mm-hmm. do it. Okay.
0: Point taken. I'm giving you permission I'm right writing now. it down right now. I'm
1: just saying. I'm just saying. I I mean, I know I haven't had a loved one have this happen. No. So, I mean, I can see if it's my daughter. No. Yeah. If it's your mother. Right, right. That would be absolutely terrible.
0: Right. It would. It would be. And I, having, here's the thing. We were all fascinated with the O.J. Simpson situation. The murders and then the trial and the whole thing that happened. Um, That's a whole different topic. But... I don't know how many years later it was. Uh, it it was kind of just recently. I think it was an ESPN thirty thirty by thirty. Maybe it was a special on the on OJ Simpson, and that was the first time. It might not have been ESPN. I'm sorry if I just threw you guys under the bus because I now I'm speaking completely out of out of pocket here and I don't know who to give credit to but the first time I saw those crime scene photos they were not released immediately in fact they were only released probably five years ago and whatever program this was that I was watching had them and I was not prepared to see them no I haven't seen them it's they they describe in the I don't know police reports maybe the autopsy report that she was all but decapitated you see it and you can have someone say that to you and go, okay, I can, I, I can, I know what that, but then to see it, it's like, that is an anger that you cannot put your finger on. That's something way beyond anything you can imagine. Right. So to see crime scene videos, this is just a, a warning to people who maybe haven't watched the Night Stalker yet and are, are thinking about it with our great endorsement that we've given it. Um, <laughs> Those the crime scene video photos are um, next level. As far as you know, I enjoy true crime. I love a good crime story. To see the crime scene photos makes it very real, and it's um it it's a little bit of a rough ride if you're not prepared for it. So just know that there is some real actual crime scene photos that you're going to have to wade your way through. So
1: all in all, hmm. are we giving it stars or how are we going to rate this? Let's star
0: it. How many stars would you give it?
1: How, how many is there? Available? Let's say there's five. Okay, so it's a five star. I'd give it five stars.
0: I think I'd give it. Well, yeah. I mean, I I always want to like. Well, I give it four and three quarters because I because
1: you're a teacher and you're maybe like, you want you know, you want them to like maybe have to work for it the next. Time. I just don't. There's no next time. What is
0: it. <laughs> what else could they do that would make it I, better? I guess, I
1: guess I could give it four point five based on. I wish I would have had more background about Ramirez, Ramirez. Mm. but like you said, their intent. I'm pretty sure was to tell the story of these detectives and not to give too much attention to the evil
0: mm-hmm.
1: i was going to say human but he wasn't human the evil person the
0: presence presence mm-hmm. that he
1: was so i i understand
0: that no and they did a they did a good job i can't can commend them enough they did a really good job of really keeping it Straight to that point of view because I think because the story is so ghastly, there's a real easy out here and there to go. Let's talk more about Richard Ramirez and his time growing up in El Paso and all the head injuries and the horrible cousin. You could go off on a whole nother series with that, but they really kept it to here's who we're talking to, here's the point of view that the story is coming from, and that's we're not gonna verge from that in any way. So from that point of view, I would say five out of five. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think they did a great job. Um, the, I, my question that they sort of left hanging that I had to go get more information on is: How did those attorneys defend him? Oh yeah. How do you go to court? So just so you know, another him?
1: spoiler alert: You go. He goes to court, and his family contacts a fan. I think this is why they even did it is because there had to be some family connection, and he yeah. felt he felt. The need to... The
0: obligation. An
1: obligation and a, a respect for the family, one family to another. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I, I There's just no way in hell. Mm-mm. There's no way. I mean, let me just say this. I love my kids. But... But... Um, at if, what point? If, my, if one of my children were doing this, I would not provide an attorney for them.
0: You have to look at that. I mean, I agree. But he's a product of whatever was happening in that house. So they're
1: so effed up anyway.
0: It's so, it's just steeped in denial. There's no, there's no way. So, so to write him off and say, oh, Ricky is a bad, bad guy. And he, we're going to admit that maybe he had something to do with this. Then you're admitting that you, you failed big time.
1: There's some some big failure there. There's, (laughs) there's some big, big failure there. It's enormous. But yes, I don't know how they defended themselves. And I, listen, everybody has to have, that's what our country's built on. That's is right. The system that, you know, you it, have somebody that is going to... Go to bat th- for you. They'll go to bat for you. Absolutely. I would not be the person. And I mm-hmm. don't have respect for people
0: who do it. I did find out. They didn't cover this in the um, in the documentary, and which is great. They, they just sort of... They talked a little bit about his attorneys and how they were not respected at all in the courthouse and that people were like... Just like saying horrible things to them in court the judge had to like clamp it down um one you can see why you can see why one of the attorneys was actually removed from the case he has since passed and the judge appointed um a friend someone that he knew a lawyer to go in and co-lawyer with the other dude because he's like if we get a hung jury on this Uh, we're screwed I mean, that was the fear that they were going to find one jury member who was going to buy what they were selling, which was Richard didn't do this or Richard was set up or whatever. They, that's what I don't know. I don't know how they defended him. But the the two Hispanic men that were his attorneys originally, they were all in, which I'm sure Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo were thanking their lucky stars that they didn't have those children come in because those guys would have gotten those kids on the stand and grilled them so it it ended up you know it all worked out okay but i still is i want someone now to do a whole documentary on how do you defend the, the likes of and not just richard ramirez but how do you give that guy a fair trial because he's entitled to a fair trial he's entitled to tell his story is he yes i mean the constitution doesn't work if it doesn't work for everyone and that means the lowest of the low mm. it it doesn't work i have had trust me i have struggled with this we used to going back to my journalism days at koce we would have call a lawyer night and it was a because we were pbs we had a bank of phones you know and people would call in and when we'd have pledge nights or whatever well we would have these call a lawyer nights and it would sort of piggyback on the news show on real orange and we'd have a couple attorneys on we'd talk to them and then what would happen was we'd open up all the 800 numbers and people could call in and find the right attorney. You know, I've got a slip and fall. I don't know who to talk to. And they would say, okay, here's, they would source it out. They weren't solving your problems on the phone. But you had attorneys from every walk of life and some former judges who were there who were, you know, now back in the private sector, whatever. We had a public defender on once. And after we were done interviewing him, we were sort of, you know, walking off set. And I said, I, I got to ask you, how do you how do you go to work every day? Because you're defending the dregs of the earth sometimes. You're Richard Ramirez's. You're assigned to whatever scumbag who's done the worst thing possible to some little kid. That's who you're defending. And he said exactly what I just said. The Constitution and law has to work for everyone. Or it doesn't work for anyone.
1: I get if you're a public defender because you go into it knowing that I'm going to be assigned to people I don't agree with or that I know are guilty or that I'm going to have to find a way to get them off of things they don't deserve to be off of. But when you are not a public defender, you're a defense attorney. Yeah. Who is making buco bucks
0: well not from the ramirez family not from no but, but just in but, general but yes. in general like mm-hmm. these
1: whole high profile oj simpson people yeah right my right. dream team right the dream team right um when you when you're those type of people yeah to me i don't know how you sleep at night
0: it's it's a different personality it's a different person who can look at that and go this is my calling in life i believe so much in the law do they that- really
1: believe in the law or they just want the attention or that they want the money
0: you have to ask them yeah some of them for sure it's the latter but others is like yeah maybe you know what this is they deserve to be represented in court and have their voice heard no matter how horrible they are it took me a long time to wrap my head around it but this is a perfect example of that that's like he he was the worst of the worst and yet you still have to give him his day in court. He was not going to plead guilty. He never did. Till the day he died, till the day his dad died, he said that he was misrepresented in court.
1: Really? I didn't know that. Yes,
0: his dad claimed that the entire time. I don't know that... I haven't looked that much into what Richard Ramirez said while he was living. I know there were several reporters and authors who went in and interviewed him, and I don't know what his stance was, whether or not he was like, no, I'm innocent, or if he caught to it. I thought he
1: told people different people that he had had interactions with
0: yeah I think he reveled in being known as the night stalker but I don't know that he ever came clean with oh yeah bit by bit yes I did this yes I did that I think he was wily enough to be like oh yeah I love all this press I'm getting you know or whatever he liked the attention but I don't know I don't know Anyway, so that wraps up our uh, special Night Stalker edition. Go check it out on Netflix. Um, It's just called Night Stalker. And as I said, it was uh, produced and directed by James Carroll and Tiller Russell. My hat's off to both of you. You did a fantastic job. And of course, thank you to Detective Gil Carrillo and Detective Frank Salerno, who just...
1: Are the BAs.
0: You just, you have such a, a hopeful thought for law enforcement and just like if those are the guys that are keeping us safe at night then i'm good i'm sleeping good i'm sleeping really good so it was fun this has been two average girls i'm ann police denise cooper thanks for joining us don't forget rate review and subscribe